welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. We are here with another graphic novelties. Yes. Today we are talking about Friday, book one, the first day of Christmas. You're never, ever going to guess who wrote this. It's Ed Brubaker. <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> Puts out a lot of stuff. It's true. Um, He's prolific. That's not our fault. <laughs> so this book actually isn't technically new. It's just the first time that it's in print. It started out on as a digital comic from Panel Syndicate. Um, this is Ed Brubaker with art by Marcos Martin. Uh, this is a post-YA novel uh, following the return of a young woman named Friday to her hometown, uh, wherein she spent most of her childhood and teen years as the sidekick character to an Encyclopedia Brown-esque type guy named Lancelot Jones. Uh, we are... She is coming back. Things are kind of awkward, and she's running us through... Uh, her memories of her time spent with Lance, as well as the thing that all the way up until her last day before she took the train off to college, uh, wherein their friendship kind of came to a head uh, for different reasons. Uh, T, give us your thoughts. Oh my god, I loved this book. <laughs> this book checked all the boxes for me, admittedly. Um the, the initial comparison I have to give, in not a bad way, like, people could mistrue what I'm about, like, misconstrue what I'm about to say, but I want to be very clear. This book, to me, gives me, like, Riverdale-esque vibes. And what I mean by that is not that it's overdramatic or that it's, like, cheesy or anything. What it is, is it's taking a historically very young very clean cut story like Archie or Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys or something like that and then making it more adult and focusing more on the human experience of those characters rather than the individual mysteries or experiences or, or tales themselves if that mm. makes sense you know Archie is told from the perspective of, like, individual issues of hijinks. Like, there's not a ton of character depth to Archie in the original depictions of Archie. It's like, Archie is a klutz. And Archie is always trying to find more money and trying to fix his car. And it's, like, it's very, like, clean cut. And there's a very strict formula to an Archie experience. The Riverdale experience takes that and humanizes it. And infuses it with interpersonal relationship drama, with depth of character, with strong emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is, in my opinion. Is it takes a Nancy Drew, a Hardy Boys, a Boxcar Kids type story and infuses it with more mildly adult, but primarily just like, very interpersonal, very, like, internal workings of the characters. It's not about a mystery inherently. I mean, it is. But it's not about, like, the hijinks of the people. It's about how they're feeling and what they're thinking while this other stuff is going on. And I think that is one of the coolest ways 
to take a genre and flip it on its head. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it so much because they even kind of show, you know, potential stories that they dealt with when they were kids and things like that. And in kind of like this Nancy Drew book format. And I think that's so clever. Um, So I really enjoyed this book. One thing that I do want to kind of just make a comment of that's slightly unrelated but related is that one of the things I love most about comics is the diversity of the ability of how to depict story and visuals. And one thing that I don't think is done enough that I love when it's done is playing with font, playing with the word on the page. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of books, it's you've got text and dialogue. And then you have exposition text in a very specific format, and it just kind of stays the same throughout a book. This plays with how text and words are depicted on the page significantly. Like, there's a standard dialogue formatting, but then there's also, like, expositional talking about backstory, and the text is in one way and in one font and in one color. And then you have another, like, perspective on a story or a tale, and that's kind of giving you a different vibe with a different color and a different font. And I love that. To me, that sucks me in so strongly because it feels more organic. You know, if you're thinking about, like, the way things are depicted in the real world, not everything's the same. Not everything's cut and dry. It's it's fluid and changing, and things are depicted in a way that would make you read it differently in your head. Mm-hmm. And I love that. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, in the afterward to this book, uh, Brubaker talks about his connection to the 1960s and 70s YA novels. Things like Encyclopedia Brown, Harriet the Spy, uh, Boxcar Children, the Hardy Boys, that kind of stuff. Um, and you can, you know, he lists that his time interacting with those was in a in a younger, slightly more depressed time of his life. I suppose he mentions that, you know, at times when he was depressed, he'd go to the library and pick up these, like, sift through their YA novels, and mm-hmm. then he'd take them home and read them, and they'd make him feel great. And you can really feel that in this book. You can feel that he has a very special connection and love to these. Uh, he mentions that, you know, the the mysteries eventually led him down, you know, the mystery section of the library, which ultimately became his career, you yeah. know spawned into his career uh and so you know you can see that he has a very like nurtured passion for these kind of things and honestly i think that's great because we you know in reading this book i realized this is kind of a forgotten subset of the genre yeah absolutely these old mystery books i mean i read a bunch of boxcar children when i was a kid and that was it like i never really paid any mind to that kind of it was always just this kind of cheese niche that you would think about from time to like, oh, Encyclopedia Brown. Like, that would be a funny kind of character to have exist somewhere. Right. Or, you know, the Hardy Boys. Like, let's make jokes about that. And, you know, more often than not, when you want to reference, make a reference or make a parody of a bunch of kids solving mysteries, you just default to Scooby-Doo. But there's this wide world of Nancy Drew and, you know, all these other kind of colorful characters that exist in these various novels that are popular uh and a lot of people have experience reading those as kids but most people you talk to they're like yeah i read it as kids but i kind of got away from it i grew out of you know and true it's ya fiction 
some of which is even younger. Uh, but it's still worth checking out. But it's just it's this forgotten kind of fiction. Yeah, we've we've kind of shoved it away and we parody it and maybe make reference to it from time to time. Venture Brothers, <laughs> Venture Brothers, uh, the Donald Glover movie, Adventure Team. I think Mystery Team, Mystery Team, Mystery Team. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of examples. There's, I think there's like a widest kids you know sketch. That is like an Encyclopedia Brown type character. And, you know, it's it's fine to parody these things. But at the same time, it was an important part of fiction for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And that said, I never knew that post-YA was a type of genre that was worth investigating. Like, I never would have thought about that. I never would have thought about taking a popular type of YA novel and being like, but what happens after? Yeah. You know, where do we go from here? And when you really think about it, that kind of like theme, you know, the idea of let's take this traditionally, like this character was made for kids. So the kids had someone to relate to. Now he's grown up. What's he doing has been explored a lot in the superhero realm. Yes. But not in these kind of other things. Yeah. You know, you don't have somebody doing like what happens when uh, Johnny Quest grows up. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have people doing like, hey, these kids from cartoons, what happens when they grow up? You know, and it's it's a really fascinating concept. And it's it's done very, very well in Brubaker's style, Uh, you know, Brubaker is one of those people that is is very good at writing that kind of like awkward conflict between people. Yes. The things that go unsaid. Right. He spends a lot of time in inner monologue and that gives you this ability to just really like flesh out the like want to say something but not sure how to and like the awkwardness and the space that builds up between people. Uh, he does it a lot in Reckless, which we've talked about in uh, graphic novelties at least twice. Um, he does that a lot with his reckless character and it, you know, shines here because the situations that are being, with the exception of the mysteries and the elder gods and the ancient artifacts and all the like wild adventures and stuff, ultimately the part that just boils down to them being kids that are friends and then kind of grow up and space builds between them and then college happens, that's relatable on so many levels to a lot of people. But it's not a sort of feeling we would usually read these kind of Encyclopedia Browns and these kind of things in order to escape that kind of the standard troubles of growing up. Right. You know, it's these YA characters are always going to be that way. They're always going to be young, adventurous people. You know, they're never growing up. So the idea of taking that, which is usually an escapism from growing up and aging it and being like here you go like this is what it would be like it's a fascinating concept it's it's really really and i don't know that i've read anything that really is post like i don't know if i've read anything that i could really say is post ya i don't and that's amazing i want more i want to find what like i'm going to i did a little bit i looked a little bit not enough for me to really be an authority on what is available out there in terms of post YA. Right. But I really 
want to dig into it and i like i like it as a genre i think it's a really cool kind of character piece and gives you the option of doing a lot of reflecting on human condition and growing up and things like that uh, i just think it's really neat i never heard of it until today <laughs> <I think, laughs> or until this yeah book you know? i think too one thing that stands out to me about this book is that he does a great job of flipping the usual depiction of YA and and even like darker YA, like a post-apocalyptic type YA. Mm-hmm. Because what he in most circumstances you're taking very our world type people and putting them in relatively like fantasy fantasy or or extraneous sit- situations and trying to make the like fantastic feel more real Mm -hmm. through your characters whereas i feel like this is doing the opposite it's taking more fantastical characters and more like trope built characters and putting them into very real life our world situations Mm -hmm. which is not usually the way that things are done like even to the point of like their names like friday and lancelot like those are clearly fiction-based characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they feel... It's like he did it intentionally to make it feel more, like, unrealistic. And, like, he makes the adventures they went on super unrealistic and kind of fantastical, you know? And and fanciful is the word I was looking for. I kept Fan- trying to say it. Fantastical. Yeah, I kept trying to say the word, and I'm like, where is that Escape word? Escape the heat with a delicious fantastical. Fancy. Ooh, that actually sounds really good like an orange popsicle okay focus but he takes these like very fanciful like stories and like historical things that they've done like there's art like artifacts and they dealt with pirates and like there's all this weird stuff and it's very like unrealistic but then that makes it so interesting when they're grounded in these like real life situations and real life emotions Mm. and real life experiences it's an absolute reverse on what we normally get you're normally trying to take these very like realistic people and put these them in very unrealistic circumstances and this is doing the opposite and i feel like it has a very strong reaction like it it suddenly makes you look at like fictional characters doing real things and it's just a weird like it kind of gives you a weird like irony like a dramatic irony over the whole situation that's really cool yeah i think um i don't know i would kind of posit that there is a lot of fantastic stuff going on in this book i mean there's you know ancient artifacts there's yeah them discovering like ancient temples and stuff i was gonna say that you know this isn't interesting use of magical realism that we don't see often yes and i think that's what i was trying to say because it does have they he built this fantastical world but then bases them in very like normal happenstance experiences yeah it's it's this fantastic stuff is happening and no one seems to care notice yeah exactly Uh, it's very hundred years of solitude it's very like we just have ultimately stories about people just living their life and then it's like oh look there's a dark statue to cthulhu crazy anyway (laughs) who are you going to prom with and it's yeah it's i love that i love when the the fantastic stuff of the world is just kind of accepted there's there's not like a wild it's kind of like twin peaks in a way like 
crazy stuff and twin peaks has really over the top characters but the over the top characters in and of themselves are part of what needs to be accepted in twin peaks and there's like a few kind of normal base level characters like the sheriff most of the sheriff's office to be honest um are just living in this world with these like larger than life characters and some supernatural being jumping around and possibly aliens and like all this weird stuff they're just kind of like oh man let's get some donuts you know and they just go to the, i want to get some pie and they go to the diner to get pie and yeah stuff. And it's, it's it's like the instance where the you know friday's mom let her for years go gallivanting doing like god knows what with lance a lot fighting you know horrible beings and doing all of this crazy stuff with like artifacts and pirates and treasure and all of these things but what everybody has an issue with is like, oh, is her relationship with Lancelot okay? Mm-hmm. Like, the things that would be super normal and expected and anticipated in the real world, like growing up and having a weird relationship, like a sh- really shift in your relationship with someone else that you're mm-hmm. close to and like growing apart. These are the things that everybody's up in arms about. Whereas all of the stuff that in the normal world would be like weird, like the artifacts and everything, that's just sort it's of just like... become normal. It's just yeah. background noise. It's just, yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's our town, LOL. Anyway, would yeah. you like a pizza? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's I love that. I love the magical realism of it. And I think it's it's a cool vibe. And if it's the YA-ness of yeah. it, you know what I mean? Because it, it stands to reason that, you know, when Lancelot Jones first kicked off and started solving all these mysteries and finding ancient artifacts and stuff, people might have been like, whoa, weird, huh? But, you know, he's, what, like 16 now? Probably. 17, maybe. Because she's 18, but he's, like, younger than her, but ahead of her. Because he's, like, a prodigy. Yeah. So, like, 16, 17. Yeah. So, it's been going on for, like... Because she started when she was 11, you know? Yeah, she said, like, six years. She wasn't there from the beginning. So, yeah, it would be, like, six, seven years that this has been happening. So, of course, by the end of it, people are going to be like, oh, cool, another temple? Neat. Weird. Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) Do you want Chipotle Ranch? you know <laughs> and uh so yeah it's, it's that's an interesting like that brings up an interesting point because it's not just the characters growing up it's literally the the medium growing up as yeah well. the medium is aging yeah the the stories and the magic of it and the fantasy of it is also aging along with these characters yeah you know it's that that old concept of like did the supervillains happen because of batman or did batman happen because of the supervillains right like did all this magical stuff happen because lancelot came in or was it always there yeah you know and so maybe this town's just like desensitized to all and this they kind of play you know? with that you know he plays with that a little bit because he talks about how um you know they they've done big mysteries and small mysteries whether it's like uncovering an ancient temple or like finding a, finding a yeah, yeah finding a missing pet like And that speaks to the Nancy Drew of it in that, you know, they started off as more like realistic, small scale stories. And then as time went on and you have to write more books and you're writing hundreds and hundreds of books in this series, Mm -hmm. you have to come up with more fanciful, more unrealistic, more extravagant stories to keep people's attention and to separate from the previous books you've already made. Yeah. And that makes the environment nifty. You know what I mean? Because it's like. When you live in a world where all this crazy stuff's going down, like, say you live in, like, a superhero city, you live in Metropolis, 
Like, at what point do you either just get fed up with or jaded to all the extravagant crap? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, you know, superhero writers will dip on this a little bit. They'll have, you know, people being like, ah, there's freaking Spider-Man. Oh, no, I better take an alternate route home or something like that. But they yeah. never really, like, dive too much into, would the world just kind of get used to it? Yeah. You know, and that's what it seems like with this town. It seems like this town is just like, yep, okay, yeah, and haunted dagger, neat. I'm I'm a grown man as a sheriff, and I'm gonna go ahead and hang out with yeah, this thirteen year old who's yeah. getting things done. <laughs> Why not? You know, oh, yeah. there's an ancient temple under the middle school. Cool, like, <laughs> and I I dig that. I think that's a cool world to build in. It's neat to see the the literal concept that you're writing a post type genre off of has also aged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I didn't think about that before, but that's, it shows some real, it's an interesting concept that the, the literal, like literal genre has aged as these characters have aged. Yeah. There's like fluidity to it. Yeah. It's cool. Anyway, go pick this up. It is out now. Uh, Friday book one, the first day of Christmas. It is book one. I think it just collects Friday one through three. Uh, so hopefully we'll get book two soon. I'd like to keep reading this. It's very, very nice. Uh, and it's a good, it's, it's Brubaker enough for the Brubaker fans, but it's not his typical post-noir fare. Yeah. Uh, It's a little different. It's cool. Crime-based fare. So it's, it's got a nice different vibe if you're interested in something a little new. Something a little different. That's going to do it for us for <laughs> previous episodes. You can find those online at coverbpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter on those social medias. Uh, we post things as one does. Be sure to come back for our standard episode, which we post on Thursdays, where we cover our poll for the week and cover some hot new number ones that we think you should pick up from your local comic store. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and until next time, I hope everybody is well, and we will catch you back here for more Cover Cover B. B.